And now another edition of Traveling with Paul Lasley and Elizabeth Harriman. Every edition of Traveling with Paul Lasley and Elizabeth Harriman airs weekdays on the American Forces Network in countries around the world. Each show is also available as a podcast at ontravel.com and at iTunes. Just use the keyword on travel. Here's Paul and Elizabeth. Max Hartzorn joins us to kick off the year, and we're going to talk about a great place in England, Bristol. And today you are traveling with Paul Lasley and Elizabeth Harriman right here on the American Forces Network and at ontravel.com. Max, welcome back to traveling. Happy New Year, Paul. Great to be with you guys again. Well, you know, Go Nomad is a remarkable website, and since we've been talking over the last year, I've I've been referencing Go, Go Nomad more and more. You're filled with amazing information, and many of your stories that are posted there really give you an in-depth feeling of where to go and how to enjoy a destination. And I came across your your piece on Bristol, and I'd like to talk with you about that today because Bristol, England is one of those places that's gaining in popularity rather rapidly, but I have friends who've been there recently and say it's one of the great places in England to visit. Uh, so let's talk about that today. Yeah, you know, it's funny. My decision to go to Bristol was not because I had heard about Bristol, but really more of a geographical thing. I was over in London for the world travel market, and I decided to take a couple of extra days, and so I had four extra days in the lovely country of England, and I was going to go down to Devon, and then I thought I'd follow that on to Cornwall. And if you look at a map, you'll know that Cornwall is a long peninsula sticking way out on the bottom of England. And then I looked at the map, and I had to fly back from from um, Gatwick, and I said, you know, I really ought to move up north to try to make an easier drive back. So I looked at the map, and there was Bristol right in the still in the southwest of England, but a little bit north of Devon. And so I took a, a, a an easy train up there and just discovered this wonderful place. And really, I was pretty surprised by how, how popular Bristol is and how many things there are to do there. Well, what amazes me is that uh, Bristol seems to have, well, I guess in a way, missed a lot of the overdevelopment that we find in a lot of uh, British cities today. And I know there is a housing shortage in England, but my gosh, you know, paving over the countryside is not a great idea. Uh, today, Bristol really has that English feeling about it. Oh, it does. And, they, you know, it's a seafaring city. And what's wonderful about Bristol is the way that they use the river, the um, the Avon River. It has a lot of lot to do with the history of Bristol. Bristol was once the one of the largest um, seaports in England. Um, and unfortunately, many of that was in the slave trade. They were quite active in the slave trade. And so they had ships coming and going all time out of, out of Bristol and rivaled London. But then um, many years ago, they moved moved the port to Avondale, which is about 10 miles closer to the actual ocean. And that was uh, done with a channel. They built dug a channel, and uh, similar to the Manchester Channel, they built a channel and, and, and made the Avon River navigable. So that took a big bite out of Bristol's economy. And um, in recent years, I think one of the most amazing things, if you go to our article, you'll see the photograph of the SS Great Britain, which is the, oh, an amazing thing. They've taken a ship that was built in Bristol, they towed it 8,000 miles from the Falklands, 
and plunked it next to the harbor where you can actually go below the ship and see the entire hull uh, as it was originally made and the whole thing's all been restored. It's just one of the things you can do there. Just a tremendous uh, attraction for anybody who's interested in seafaring and history. Well, and, and of course, this was a period of, you know, wooden ships and iron men. But you really do get a sense of that when you look at ships like the SS Great Britain or, or for that matter, the Cuddy Sark, which is in Greenwich, England. Um, it's a really tribute to England that they've saved so many of these wooden ships because they really did bring the world to England uh, back in the day. And unfortunately, some of them were for slaves. But the the larger issue is this amazing global trade that went on at this time. And, you know, the races with the tea clippers from India and all of this kind of stuff. I mean, what an amazing maritime heritage England has. Yeah, they're so proud of that. You know, they're very proud of the fact that the SS Great Britain was built right in Bristol. And they're also very proud that the same gentleman that designed the SS Great Britain designed the most magnificent Clifton Suspension Bridge, which is sort of the symbol of Britain of Bristol, if you were going to say uh, maybe the combination of the two. But this when you do you, anywhere you're all in Bristol, you can look up and you can turn around the corner and see this amazing suspension bridge over this gigantic, long, you know, cavernous, big, long distance down to Avon River. And it's just it's part of a neighborhood. The Clifton neighborhood is a wonderful neighborhood full of shops and cafes and places to walk around. The Georgian architecture, you know, is everywhere. These nice houses that are built in the Georgian style. Um, and the other thing that's happening in Bristol, which is quite remarkable, is uh, similar to what they're doing in Las Vegas. It's um, it's a new thing where they take ship containers, which again, it's interesting the way they connect that those dots. But they used containers in, to create a whole area of shopping and cafes out of made out of ship containers. Um, which is a really neat a neat place, very very portable and very temporary. So if the business doesn't work out, they can easily move out. <laughs> well, <laughs> actually, there are even architects who are experimenting with containers as housing. But uh, I guess that I, I was talking to one who said that uh, it seems on the surface like a great idea. Here you have this steel box, and you should be able to create a really interesting living space with two or three steel boxes. But First of all, they need to be insulated and some other things to make them habitable. But for shops and restaurants, they're an incredible idea. And you're right. They're doing it in Las Vegas. But uh, Bristol is one of the centers of this in Europe. Yeah, it's neat. They've got they've got this whole area now over by the um, right by the river where it, it's called cargo. And they have about 40 or 50, maybe even more businesses that have opened up in these small little shops. We they had we went there for an evening and they had all these different things like cafes and they had bakeries. They had a guy that was selling bicycles. They had some boutiques. They had some upscale restaurants. And it just made for such a neat little place where you could walk around. It's like a whole nother area. You know, this part of Bristol, there's many um, parts of Bristol which have to do with the olden days of the trade. Uh, they've converted these warehouses that were once gigantic, you know, Riverside warehouses. Some of them have been turned into museums, like the Ardenol, uh, the Ar Arnolfini Museum, and then the Watershed, which is another uh, place right on the river. And a really wonderful place I enjoyed quite a bit was the museum itself. The museum about 
uh, Bristol, which is in the center of Bristol. And it, it just tells you the whole story of, of how the city came to be, plus a lot of interesting exhibits and stuff. There's some famous people from Bristol, some interesting folks, and they're all chronicled in the, in that big museum. It's called the M Museum. That's you know, local museums are remarkable, and you know I'm reminded of of this the fabulous. You know, everybody wants to go to the British Museum, rightly so, and you know the National Gallery and all of these things. A fascinating museum is the Museum of the City of London, and it's true. You know, Manchester has some great museums. The of course the amazing uh, Imperial War Museum up there. Uh, so many things that I think, and you're right in pointing out the fact that these small museums sometimes capture more information in a more accessible way than these giant museums, which really are covering the world. Yeah, I love the way it's really drills down to like in the in the the M Museum, and it's named the M Museum because it was warehouse number M. Um, but it's just you you go in and they have like a timeline of all the things that were done in Bristol, including um, developing the SST, the um, the well, the what they not the SST, but the. Um, uh, the supersonic airplane. Oh, um, yeah. That's, yeah, yeah, that's that, right. That's where, in fact, I missed the opportunity. Unfortunately, they stopped flying the plane to fly in the simulator, which was in Bristol for a long time of the Concord. Yeah, I remember right. that. So the, the Concord has a connection to Bristol. Um, they also um, have an interesting thing. Uh, you may have heard, um, some of the listeners may have heard, of Banksy, the most famous um, of the um, graffiti, what well, they call graffiti, but he's really an art, outdoor street artist. Yes, indeed. And he's amazing. And he was born in Bristol. And there's a couple of Banksy uh, paintings you can see. We took a tour of the street art. It was neat. Just taking us around and showing us the things that have been painted on the sides of buildings. This isn't just scratching somebody's name. This is like full scale, full on artwork, you know, for, you know, 40 feet by 60 feet up a hundred foot wall. I mean, incredible things that like you can walk around the city and see so much art, including actual Banksy art that's still preserved and, and available to, to enjoy. It's, it's wonderful. I've seen some photographs of his art uh, around the world and he's really gifted. There's no question about that. And I, I understand that local museums, wherever there's Banksy art, if they can authenticate it, work very hard to save it. Uh, because by its very nature, things painted on the side of buildings are not the most permanent uh, kinds of things. That's wonderful. I didn't realize he came from Banks, uh, from Bristol. What a wonderful yes. thing. Well, yeah, and they really preserve his legacy. You know, and a lot of his his people people who uh, knew Banksy continue to do artwork in Bristol. They really support it. They have tours to push it. It's neat. You can actually take a tour with a guy in Bristol who has painted some of this artwork, and it's pretty extraordinary. I can imagine. That's a great, great. Uh, uh, you know, these art tours. I I think that's what I was struggling for here. Food tours and art tours are amazing ways to see cities, almost better than guided tours to see the sites, you know. Um, I mean, we can always go to the cathedral or church or whatever, but going to a Banksy mural, for instance, makes I think makes a city come alive in many, many ways. We're going to be talking about something else that makes Bristol come alive in just a moment. We're talking with Max Hartshorn, who is the editor of GoNomad.com and a regular contributor here to Traveling. And you are traveling with Paul Leslie and Elizabeth Harriman right, on, right here on the American Forces Network and at OnTravel.com. 
I must ask you, Max, about food, because you and I both travel on our stomachs. And I was impressed by the fact that you actually mentioned, shouted out, a fish and chips shop in Bristol. Now, I've always tried to look for local fish and chips shops. Some of them are phenomenal. Salt and malt in Bristol. Yes, well, it was. It's um, actually salt and malt is is owned by uh, the same gentleman who has a Michelin star. Uh, he's got a fancy restaurant in Bristol, and it's uh, it's I believe it's an Italian restaurant called Casa Mia. So so Casa Mia gets the uh, star. But the people who probably can afford something a little more reasonable choose <laughs> the salt and malt, which is again, it's in the, um, it's in, it's a great place. It's right in the um, container park called Cargo. So it's a small little space, but very cozy. And as you can see by the picture, Paul, it's perfect food, that perfect I, fish chips that people would want to eat. I'm getting hungry already. Uh, you know, fish and chips are sort of so iconic in in England that. Uh, we found that, uh, you know, you can always find a really good local fish and chip shop. And usually you find that out by talking to local people. Um, uh, salt and malt sounds like one of those places it's worth the drive, as, as they would say in Michelin world. Um, you know, you mentioned uh, eating in general and, and you know, a, a Michelin star restaurant. How do you find the food in Bristol overall? I mean, obviously, there must be some really good restaurants because it's a very prosperous city. I, I, it really is. It's a prosperous city with lot. There's four. There's actually four Michelin starred establishments in Bristol. And one of them is when I and I asked the gentleman who was the editor of one of the local newspapers, which I always love that when you get a chance to meet somebody, meet a journalist, because the journalist is always knows what the buzz is and knows what's going on. And he, he said to me that. Casa Mio was the, the sort of the hottest restaurant for the foodies, but I really enjoyed a lot of different places. I enjoyed salt and malt. I enjoyed, I went out one night to the theater, which was fun. You know, I, I had an opportunity to see some, some theater. And in the restaurant where the, the theater was, it's called the Old Assembly. And I had a great meal at Old Assembly Hall, which was kind of like, a, it's a little balcony. And then you go into the back and there's this live theater, a hundred or so hundred seat theater for uh, productions that were made in, in Bristol, touring around London. Um, I also, let's see, the last place I went, which I thought was really wild, actually, was a place, it's considered the biggest restaurant in Europe. It's actually that big. It's so big. It's called Zaza Bazaar. And it's a giant room with, I don't know, maybe it's something, you know what it's like, Paul? It's like what you would get if you went to Las Vegas to a buffet. Every kind of food imaginable, basically. So we, it's old stuff for us, but in, in, in England, it's a pretty big deal. Well, you know, uh, I remember all over the place, there are these sort of uh, food halls coming along now, and some of them are really phenomenal. One that uh, I liked was in Wenzhou, China, which probably could seat 2,000 people. It was enormous. But wow. the food was very, very good. You went around to these stalls and you could order, and, and it was just, you know, a cross-section of Chinese food, which is in China, quite different than what you see in America or in England, for that matter. Although I've been to a couple of decent Chinese restaurants in Ireland, of all places. <laughs> but, yeah. uh, you know, it's interesting what you find in the way of food. And, and um, Europe is really leading the way in some of this, in old the slow food movement, which started in Italy. And, and I know you like to find sort of local down-home restaurants like Salt and Malt. 
they're all over the place, but they're, you have to sort of get out of the guidebooks. Guidebooks don't do a good job with restaurants, in my estimation, at least. Not always, yeah. I think the other, the other example of that is timeout, these timeout restaurants. Um, there's one in Lisbon, and what they do is they have about 28 stalls, as you say, all around the perimeter. And in the middle, there are these communal tables. So long tables where you get to talk to people and sit with other people. You can bring all your food. And, you know, I love the the hall, the food hall thing where you, you order and then you sit with other people. Um, they also have opened a timeout in New York, which is going to be, uh, I believe it's already open. But it's so it's going to be similar to the one in um, uh, that I went to in Portugal in Lisbon. So yeah, I love the whole like the concept of a, of a food hall. Um, it's neat. Um, let's see what else about Bristol. You know, I really would have to say Bristol's more people travel. It's one of the most popular places to go in England. I, I found out that it's one of the most popular cities of all, you know, besides London in terms of tourism, both from people in England and people from other countries. You know, the way in England now you can, in, in Europe now you can just fly wherever you want. You can take an easy jet. So maybe the people come to Bristol from the continent and just like the people from England go over to Europe, over to England or to France and stuff. Those easy flights, those weekend holidays. Well, that's so true. And of course, we've discovered Norwegian Air, which is a whole nother thing. Um, but and they fly into Gatwick, fortunately. So you could easily take a train from Gatwick to Bristol, I'm sure. Yep. Um, or even the bus. You know, England has a great network of buses, which I didn't realize. Um and they're inexpensive and they go almost everywhere and you get to meet interesting people on the bus. <laughs> yeah, I actually took a bike. That's what I did. I took a, high, a relatively high speed bus from Bristol to Gatwick and it was very easy. It was three hours and the train would have been much more complicated. So I think that you're right, Paul. A lot of these trains um, connect with buses, but uh, there's more buses than there'll ever be trains. So we should realize that if we want public transportation, we have to do both. A little bit of bus, a little bit of train. You know, you can't always take the train. <laughs> Uh, amen to that. Well, and of course, England right now is having terrible trouble with their rail network. So um, the prices have gone up again, and it's it's getting to be somewhat expensive to take the train in England. Um, of course, there's the great train between London and Paris. So whatever, that to me is one of the world's standards, you know, by which to judge high-speed rail. You know, I want to go back to something we sort of glossed over, and that was that incredible suspension bridge and the SS Great Britain. They were both built by Brunel, uh, what is Isabard Brunel, something like that, who built these amazing things in the 19th century. Uh, the Great Eastern, a steel steamship. And I, in reading your piece in the gonomad.com, I found out that that was not only built by the Great Britain, was not only built by Brunel, but it was a thousand feet long in 1848. I mean, that's yeah. an incredible thing when we think about it. They were building huge ships then. Yeah, that was a huge. And I've never heard of this before, but they built the ship as a steam vessel in 18, I think it was 1849, they built the ship. Okay. And I've never heard of this, Paul, but they actually converted it to sail. They, got, they took out the steam engines about 20 years after they had, they had launched the ship and decided that they ought to go to the route of the clipper ship. So they put sails on it and pulled the engines out. So they have the gigantic sails. I, you would not believe that inside the museum, uh, inside the actual the, the excess Brunel, you can see one of these masts, how long it is. And so you remember the clipper ships had so many sails and they were very fast, fast ships, these packets. 
They took this thing to Antarctica. They took it to down to the Falklands. This thing went all over the world, and it was discovered lying in harbor in the Falkland Islands, barely able to you know even operate. And they just determined that in 1976, I think it was, they towed that thing all the way across the Atlantic back to Bristol and spent years and years uh, restoring it. And interestingly, if you look at the photograph, you'll see there's that you can see the bottom of the of the ship. You can actually see the hull, and they, you can go down below the ship and see how it's been. It's actually not in the water. It's just above the water, and that's a glass. Uh, sort of glass covering so you can see they have humidifiers because if they didn't have the humidifiers the wood would crack and it would not be it would no longer be able to stay together so they have special humidifiers to keep the exactly the right temperature and humidity and you can take that tour and you can not only see the bottom of it but you can see mannequins and different displays and how things work they have great sound effects and it's a wonderful wonderful attraction just like his bridge I walked over the bridge, the Brunel's Bridge, the Clifton Bridge. It was a great walk. I walked right across it, you know. And again, that view of the Avon and the beautiful countryside. I just, it's a, it's a really neat place. And I think that if anybody is in Europe, any of the people listening, if you're near that and you want to take a little, as they say, a city break, I can't think of a better place than Bristol. Well, you're absolutely right. And that Brunel suspension bridge is uh, historical because it was one of the first. And um, I mean, the fact that it's still being used today is a testament to Brunel's engineering genius and also the quality of British workmanship back then. Yes, indeed. And you see that all over. You see all different kinds of interesting uh, things that, you know, there was a great industry, a machine industry and tool industry in Bristol. So you see some of that in that M Museum. Um, And I love this stuff. I'm just a museum junkie. So I can just spend a lot of time, you know, looking at these little details. And and they were really fascinating. And I got to say, the people there were friendly and very accommodating and very eager to show me around. You know, it's also a compact city. So you don't have to. It's not it's not spread out like some of the United States. It's got it's a relatively compact city. I got to know it pretty well. Well, that's the the genius too. So many British uh, cities were uh, started before the automobile, so uh, they had to be walkable. Even London, of course, uh, you know, notoriously, I think they say that they na- they laid out some of the streets following the cattle paths and things like that, which accounts for sort of that spider web kind of layout. But on the other hand, that's what makes cities in Europe, especially, so interesting. They're great walkable places. There's no no question about that. Yeah, I wish we had that more here. I tell you, one, once in a while, they close down this main street in the city near us called Northampton. And people come out to that street and they they love it. They walk around the street and there's no cars and there's no trucks. And I just wish that America would get that point, which is the pedestrian areas are so much superior. And we don't need to be slaves to our cars, for God's sake. You know, I just love it when you go to a place like Burlington, Vermont, or you go to Boulder, Colorado, and you have a big pedestrian area, realize, you know, that we don't have to all be bossed around by our cars, do we? Amen. That's a great uh, that's a great uh, message for the 2018, not to be bossed around by our cars. John right. Max Hartshorn, thank you so much for joining us here. And check out gonomad.com, great website. And we'll look forward to your next report, Max. Thanks again. Okay, Paul, thanks very much. And you have been traveling with Paul Leslie and Elizabeth Harriman right here in the American Forces Network and at ontravel.com. I'm Paul Leslie. As always, 
travel safe. Join Paul and Elizabeth at any time since each episode of Traveling is available as a podcast on iTunes, keyword on travel, and at ontravel.com. You can join the global community on Twitter and Facebook at OnTravel Media, and you can email at traveling at ontravel.com. Your suggestions for show topics and comments are always welcome. Join us next time on the American Forces Network and at ontravel.com. I'm Fred Sater.